Greetings, brothers and sisters. Thank you for listening to Sunday School Bonanza, brought to you by This Week in Mormons. You can find us over at thisweekinmormons.com. Send us an email, contact at thisweekinmormons.com. And please, of course, visit us on facebook.com slash thisweekinmormons or find us on Twitter, YouTube, Stitcher Radio, etc., etc. We encourage all of it. Uh, before we get to this week's lesson, I want to introduce my wonderful co-host, Patricia Oxier, is back with us today. Hi, everyone. So she's here. We love Patricia. People actually send you. us emails about Patricia. <laughs> they don't do that for the other guys, probably because she's the only female voice, and that's needed on this very testosterone-heavy production. Uh, this week's lesson we're talking about here is we really wrap up Doctrine and Covenants, lesson 38. It's called In Mine Own Way. Yeah, and when we opened up this lesson, when we saw that phrase, we're like, where does that come from? And so we searched, and it actually brought up one of the scriptures that it tells us to prepare. It's Doctrine and Covenants 104, 13 through 18. And it's really good. It frames really what the whole lesson is about. So I'm just going to go ahead and read that, those verses. Sure, so yeah. like, That's Doctrine and Covenants 104, 13 through 18. Okay. It says, For it is expedient that I, the Lord, should make every man accountable as a steward over earthly blessings which I have made and prepared for my creatures. I, the Lord, stretched out the heavens and built the earth, my very own handiwork, and all things therein are mine. And it is for my purpose to provide for my saints, for all things are mine. But it must be done in mine own way. There's that phrase. And behold, this is the way that I, the Lord, have decreed to provide for my saints, that the poor shall be exalted, and that the rich are made low. For the earth is full, and there is enough to spare. Yea, I prepared all things, and have given unto the children of men to be agents of them, unto themselves. Therefore, if any man shall take of the abundance which I have made, and impart not his portion according to the law of my gospel, unto the poor and the needy, he shall, with the wicked, lift up his own eyes in hell, being in torment. So that covers um, a lot of the concepts that we're talking about today, including um, self-reliance and making sure that you're taking care of yourself, and then also charity and the church welfare program and um, imparting of what you have and whatnot. Yep. And we're going to hit on a lot of that. And these are these are some things about which I have I have some serious interest in many of these things. I mean, I think the church welfare program is one of the most wonderful things that we have, and really a model for any other. Uh, organization, but we'll get to that and we'll see what we're going to get to. Uh, first off, quick mention for the attention activity because it's a winner this week, <laughs> folks. If you're a teacher, if you see your teacher has a, with a backpack before you start the lesson, be warned. Do, do not raise your hand to volunteer because they are going to want to place rocks in the backpack and keep loading them up. And you will, of course, say, It's so heavy. It's so heavy. I wish this I, burden could be lifted. I wish I didn't have this burden. Yeah, yeah. And so then we take away the rocks one at a time. And the burden is lifted. And those rocks, of course, represent the things, the burdens we place upon ourselves uh, through not being self-reliant. So there are many types of self-reliance. Firstly, spiritual self-reliance. In Doctrine and Covenants, uh, section 3830, it says, I tell you these things because of your prayers. Wherefore, treasure, treasure up wisdom in your bosoms, lest the wickedness of men reveal these things unto you by their wickedness, in a manner which shall speak in your ears with a voice louder than that which shall shake the earth. But if you are prepared, you shall not fear. I think that's a pretty interesting thing. That's basically saying store up your spiritual knowledge like you would anything else uh, so that you can be reliant on it. Because if you don't, uh, men who have very powerful, eloquent words will do so for you and they will lead you astray. And their voices will be more powerful than what I can project, which is totally true because the Holy Ghost only works as a still small voice to teach truth. And, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the philosophies of men, you know, mingled with scripture. That's something that could very easily mix stuff up. Nice. What are you looking at me for? It's true, nice. right? Yeah, it's, it's not bad. It's very true. It's right there. So um, 
I really love the spiritual self-reliance idea. I like this quote from President Packer, where he says, We have been taught to store a year's supply of food, clothing, and if possible, fuel at home in italics. Can we not see that the same principle applies to inspiration and revelation, the resolving of problems, to counsel and to guidance? We need to have a source of it stored in every home. If we lose our emotional and spiritual independence, our self-reliance, we can be weakened quite as much, perhaps even more than when we become dependent materially. So I think that's a good cautionary counsel there. If we're, we can be more dependent on spiritual things and even on temporal things if we're not careful. Yeah. Which is cool. So. And then, you know, people make mistakes and people uh, fall away. And if your testimony is built on somebody else's faithfulness and you're not being self-reliant, then those kind of things can really shake your testimony. There are plenty of things that can shake our testimonies if yeah. we, yeah, if we don't stand firm enough on our own. Right. Um, so then he moves into talk um, for a significant part of the lesson on developing temporal self-reliant. And um, the lesson cautions us, we should use the blessings of the Lord has given us to take care of ourselves and our families. When we are physically and emotionally, emotionally able, we should not shift the burden of our own and of our families care to someone else and then it asks us the important question why is it important to be temporally self-reliant jeff why do you think it's important to be temporally self-reliant well it's like anything else i mean we can talk about catastrophes i think a lot of it has to do with just personal responsibility i mean at the end of the day we need to be able to stand on our own two feet and not Mm -hmm. and not run the risk of having to depend on various sources uh, various sources right, or right. things that might not be there as time goes on. I mean, that's why we're taught. We well, know we're going to talk about you know, food storage, work, whatever these things are. Uh, they're very important, and, and part of that, of course, is the value of work and teaching us how to work in the kingdom of the Lord. Because things will be different in the great beyond. It's not a a paradise or a celestial kingdom of just sitting around and you know eating figs. It is actually there is work to do in the kingdom, and we need to learn how to do that. Right, and um, the lesson talks about you know how. President Brigham Young named the region of the Salt Lake Valley um, from the word meaning a honeybee um, because he thought that we should work together to for the common good like honeybees. Yeah, Deseret. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's amazing because that's still in the, the whole state history of Utah. I mean, right. the, the, hun- the, the beehive is still on the state flag. This whole concept of industry and of sort of a hive mentality of getting stuff done mm-hmm. is, is very, very prevalent. You know, I remember um, uh, Matt Bowman gave a, a talk about at a bookstore on the Mormon people. And afterwards, um, the bookstore that was hosting started to ask people if we could fold the chairs, but everyone was already folding chairs and get everything cleared out. And I was like, <laughs> look, if Mormons know how to do one thing, it's put up chairs. Like, we got this covered. And I think I think they actually really were impressed by the fact that as soon as it was, it was done, um, the members of our community just stepped in and started to work and um, got everything finished up. So I, I, th- I really love that aspect of uh, Mormon culture. Culture. Yeah, and as long as we do it the right way. I think right. it's, it's also easy to make fun of it, you know, being silly Mormons. But um, yeah, we need to work. It's so easy to assume we don't. Yeah. And there's more to do. Other things we need to do, of course, a storage of food and other necessities. And, and there's something I like about this lesson is that it's a little more specific on the whole food storage notion. We talk about one year of food storage for everybody. Now, the actual church handbook in book two on page 258 uh, actually says the following, and I can verbatim is the best way to do it. It says, church leaders have not given an exact formula for what to store. Rather, they suggest that church members begin by storing what would be required to keep them alive if they did not have anything else to eat. 
Through careful planning, most church members can store a year's supply of the basic items needed to sustain life. However, some members do not have the money or the space for such food, and some are prohibited by law from storing a year's supply of food. These members should store as much as they can according to their circumstances. All members can provide themselves with added security by learning to produce and prepare basic food items. So I kind of like that little extra caveat, not to diminish the value of a year's supply of food, but all of our circumstances are different. Uh, and distinct, right. you know, and we need to do it according to our circumstances, whether, like I said, we have the space or the money to do so. So I just think that's important because sometimes we can beat ourselves up or feel that we're not towing the line well enough. If even if you're a single Latter-day Saint living with roommates, you don't have your own your supply of food tucked away somewhere in your bedroom. Just do your best with what you have in as much as your circumstances allow. And I've even seen and seen that in some more developed areas. Uh, local leadership and regional leadership have said more like have a three month supply because honestly, even if there's a massive catastrophe, someone's going to get to you in that much time. I've seen different things said. And of course it's all relative. Right. And I think the principle behind this is like plan and prepare for the future. Don't just think about what you need today, but think, think in terms of the future. Like what are the things I'm going to need? Um, and how will that help me be able to bless other people? Yeah, don't, and don't just get tossed around by the, the tides of life, you know. Right. Definitely steer your own ship. Um, the next section is financial security, just being self-reliant in how we take care of and manage our money. And I think one of the best ways to think about um, our finances is to think about the two term of stewardship and mm-hmm. how we're really stewards of our money, and we don't really own it or possess it. And I think that gives us a responsibility to Heavenly Father, not only how we spend our money um, in terms of paying our tithing, which we should, but also being responsible and making good decisions with the money that we've been blessed with. So um, President Hinckley, uh, this section talks a little bit about debt. And President Hinckley says, I urge you to be modest in your expenditures. Discipline yourselves in your purchase to avoid debt in the in uh, to the extent possible. Pay off debt as quickly as you can and free yourself from bondage. If you have paid your debts, if you have a reserve, even though it be small, then should storms howl about your head, you will have shelter for your wives and children and peace in your hearts. And I'm just thinking about uh, what a great example my sister has been in this principle. Her husband has been without of work for a while and they have um, a few small kids at home and um, they have just arranged their finances where they have everything that they need taken care of. And she's still generous in, um, you know, in giving gifts and providing to people around her. And I just have been really impressed by how she was able to organize her finances that even though they've been in this extended period of hardship, they were not only able to take care of themselves, but take care of others because they had made so many good financial decisions before living within their means, not spending it, um, on extra goods. So I think that's a good principle to keep in mind, especially, you know, especially in moments of plenty where you have everything you need. That's when you need to think about this and not when you don't have any money. Exactly. And even if you, if you have a stable, uh, totally stable situation and nothing's going to happen, it speaks volumes to sort of the care and the gratitude that we have for everything that we've been given. Like as much as caring for the needy, making responsible decisions with the money that we have. Like for example, like I love that story of your sister. My, my grandfather was a doctor and he was a successful one, did very, very well, mm-hmm. but he was not the type of man to live extravagantly. It just wasn't as, this isn't to knock anybody who does, you know, if you have the means, do what you want to do. But, but what I loved about him is he was just very humble about it. He didn't want attention. He had money, but rather than buy a lot of things, he put his sons through medical school. Mm-hmm. He did everything to stay out of debt. And I see how much he taught 
my mother and her siblings, those same principles about, you know, you can have nice things if it's within your budget, but don't live extravagantly. Don't just run up credit cards because you can. And I'm really grateful for those examples because then we're not in debt. We're not in bondage to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And how much do we see the, the yoke of bondage put upon like the Nephites when they, when they take back the land of Nephi under, when they're under the Lamanite bondage, you know, during the reign of, of uh, you know, when you've got Zenith and King Noah and Limhi and all those people. So very, very important. Also, caring for the needy, something I just love. I think we have such a great opportunity as members of the church to impart of our substance to help other people out. Uh, there are many scriptures that are cited here. We will link to the lesson. I encourage you to find those, but they're found in sections 42, 44, 52, 56, 88, and 104. Uh, a lot of good things. One of the ones I would like to read, though, is in fifty six sixteen, where it says, Woe unto you, rich men, that you will not give your substance to the poor. For your riches will canker your souls, and this shall be your lamentation in the day of visitation, end of judgment, end of indignation. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and my soul is not saved. I feel like we see that like crazy in the Book of Mormon, especially. Mm-hmm. How often they get riches and forget the poor and sort of spit upon the poor. And of course, we see the pride cycle take effect. But uh, if we have been given much, I think we experience so much greater joy if we're able to help other people who are struggling a lot more, whether that is emotionally or financially, spiritually, whatever it may be, we should impart graciously. And of course, this talks about fast offerings. What do we do with our fast offerings? You know, donate as generously as you can. That could be any amount, you know, right. all relative to your circumstances, but be generous with respect to what you have. And I've unfortunately seen in, in a few different stakes I've been in that the coffers, especially during the economic crisis in the past five years, started to run dry because fast offerings are administered by bishops and they typically deal with the funds they get from their local units. You know, it's not like everything comes from Salt Lake in that case. And so be generous in that sense because you definitely have brothers and sisters struggling within your own units and in your stakes who can use that help and that charity. I mean, I've been in that circumstance myself where I've had to appreciate the wonderful charity of the church welfare program, Mm -hmm. what we've been given. So. Yeah, and I just, um, I love that the church provides an organized way to help people. Yeah. And um, through, you know, it's taken over the past, um, especially in the past 50 or 60 years where the church is really focused on organizing these efforts. And I can see, just like Jeff said, I've I've seen lots of people who have benefited um, from this organized work. And I think um, it's really great. There's one, uh, Thomas S. Monson, um, tells a story about the church's humanitarian aid. Um, yeah. And he says, in 1992, a devastating hurricane struck the east coast of Florida, leaving a path of ruin behind it. With homes battered, roofs, um, with homes battered, roofs gone, people hungry. Our members were there to help. Home after home was cleaned and repaired without charge. It mattered not the faith or the color of the person who occupied the home. Far away in the foothills on the western slopes of Mount Kenya, along the fringe of the colossal Rift Valley, Pure water is now coming to the thirsty people. A potable water project has changed the lives of more than 1,100 families. When we originally became aware of the need for pure water, we were... Uh, we were able to help fund a project in cooperation with TechnoServe, a private voluntary organization. With villagers uh, providing the labor, drinkable water now flows through 25 miles of pipes to waiting homes in a 15-village area. The simple blessing of safe drinking water recalls the words of the Lord, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I think about all these things like, um, 
you know, all the miracles that happened in Christ's time. And sometimes we don't see them that they're happening now. But mm-hmm. I just think of all the things that the church humanitarian aid has been able to do, which is, you know, providing glasses to people, um, yeah. providing wheelchairs, giving water. And I think those are things that like helping people to walk, uh, restoring sight to people. Those yeah. are all the miracles that Christ provided. And we can still be the means of providing those miracles. to people. And I, I've now. known people who have served, like even we send talented farmers out to different places to show them how to more effectively harvest crops, mm-hmm. which is great for the future development of a lot of areas. Right. And likewise, if we bring that to the home front, the church welfare program itself, even domestically, is one of the, the greatest things I think that we've put together. It started in 1936 as a result of inspiration, but no doubt I could imagine inspired by the Great Depression at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the need to establish a sort of, I'm going to use political terms, a safety net, if you will, for, uh, for the members of the church. But what I love about it is how different it is. It's not just straight up handouts. They want to help you, sure, have some food from the bishop's storehouse, receive some training and some counseling from the employment center. But the point is to help people work and and get back on their feet and really still have pride about what they do and not just feel like they are just taking a handout, reliant upon outside sources and not taking any, any personal ownership for anything. And that's why when you're in these circumstances, you counsel with your bishop who wants to help you and figure things out as much as they can. And I've seen numerous people benefit from this. It's one of the most wonderful programs that we have in the church because you never know who's going to fall in difficult times mm-hmm. anyway. And even if it means that your life is now a, a world of living off of canned beans from desert that are you know packaged by DI then, hey, that's okay. You get through stuff and you figure it out and you get back on your feet. I just, I love our church welfare program. I think it's incredibly valuable. Yeah, and one thing, um, it talks about um, how efforts after World War II to help the destitute mm-hmm. European mm-hmm. saints and how church members in the U.S. were encouraged to contribute clothing and commodities. Um, and President Smith met with Harry S. Truman, President of the United States, yeah. to receive approval to send the collected food and clothing and bedding to Europe. Um, and president Truman said, why do you want to ship it over there? Therefore their money isn't any good. And president Smith said, we don't want their money. He looked at him and and asked, you mean you are going to give it to them? And he said, of course we, we would give it, we would give it to them. They are our brothers and sisters and are in distress and God has blessed us with surplus. And will we be, and we will be glad to send, send it if we can have the cooperation, cooperation on the government. Um, so President Truman was very impressed with uh, people who just wanted to give of what they had. Exactly. Well, we've learned some good stuff here today. We got to wrap up. Um, I love all. I love the concepts we've talked about today. I'm really Patricia. Thank you for being here to talk thank about you. them. I think you're terrific. Great to have you to talk about these things. This is lesson 38. Once again, it's called "In My Own Way" from the Doctrine and Covenants and Church History Manual. Uh, Sunday School Bonanza is a This Week in Mormons production. Uh, we definitely hope to hear from you and hope this is of use to you. And may you have a great Sabbath and have a good time in Sunday school. We'll see you later. Bye bye.